This morning, I have felt led to continue my book study on Daniel. You can turn with me to Daniel chapter 2. My last message, we looked at Daniel 1, how him, Daniel and his friends were taken from their homes in Israel to a foreign land of Babylon. They refused the king's meat and drink. God rewarded them for it. Instead of being punished, God made them healthier, wiser than the rest of the other wise men living under the same conditions, receiving the same teaching that Daniel and his friends were. And that's where we pick up today in Daniel chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar dreamed dreams wherewith his spirit was troubled and his sleep break from him. Then the king commanded to call the magicians and the astrologers and the sorcerers and the Chaldeans for to show the king his dreams. So they came and stood before the king. And the king said unto them, I have dreamed a dream, and my spirit was troubled to know the dream. From what I could find in studying, um, it's believed that only about a year or two had passed between this time when this dream happened and when Daniel had refused the king's meat. And so I imagine that these that Daniel and his three friends were still quite young, probably teenagers. And it's, um, it's, it's amazing that what, what God brought into their lives, I don't want to get ahead of myself, sorry. Um, the, my brain is still struggling with these things, so I will try to keep my thoughts straight. And with the Lord's help, I can do that this morning. But as we look at this, have you ever dreamed a dream that stuck out to you in a unique way and you wondered if it meant anything? I think for most of us, we've had maybe a few of those. But this dream, I think, went even further than that in the sense that Nebuchadnezzar knew that it was extremely significant and that he must find out why why he had it. He was desperate to know the meaning of it. Verse 4, Then spake the Chaldeans, the king of Syriac, O king, live forever. Tell thy servants the dream, and we will show the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The thing is gone from me. If ye will not make it known unto me the dream with the interpretation thereof, ye shall be cut in pieces in your houses shall be made a dunghill. But if ye show the dream, the interpretation thereof, ye shall receive of me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore show me the dream and the interpretation thereof. They answered again and said, Let the king tell his servants the dream, and we will show the interpretation of it. The king answered and said, I know of certainty that you would gain the time because you see the thing is gone from me. But if ye will not make known unto me the dream... There is but one decree for you, for ye have prepared lying and corrupt words to speak before me till the time be changed. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I will show you that ye can show me the interpretation thereof. The king was putting these men in a terrible position. 
Do they make up the dream? That probably won't go so well. Because the king would probably, if he... If they started telling him things, the dream might come back, and then he would real, they would realize that the gig was up, that they had, they were just lying. And it almost makes you think that they had lied to him before, just by his attitude and his opinion of them. You make it makes you wonder why did he keep them around, but yet he did. Maybe it was just to hear the words to tickle his ears, as the Bible talks about. And so, this time, though, there was no lying to him. There was no deceiving him. And they knew it. For whatever reason, we go through all this list of people that he was calling on. It says magicians, astrologers, sorcerers, Chaldeans. And yet, as we'll see here as we move forward, Daniel and his friends are not told about this dream at this point so apparently they did not fall even though they were wise men and they were in the king's under the king's uh, support like they were provided for by the king trained by the king's people they were not told and they were not part of this group here but yet their lives were going to be taken if they didn't uh, come up with the meaning of the dream But I wanted to think this morning about the whole idea of dreams and visions. You've probably heard of people that claim, especially when you get into the groups that are big into like personal prophecies. I'm not talking about prophecy when it comes to end times, but like prophesying over a person to whether they're going to have health and strength and whether they're going to be rich and all this, that there are people that just throw out the, t- the terms and, and dreams and visions and all this and how should we view these things and as I studied this message I, I could not come up with if you can come up with one and tell me afterwards I'd be open to that but I could not think of a time in the Bible where a believer had a dream or a vision but did not know the meaning of it through when it was given to him. But yet we see numerous times in Scripture where unbelievers have dreams or visions and do not know the definition, do not know how to interpret it. Uh, one of the examples... Um, is a story of the, in, in Genesis of Joseph when he interpreted four different dreams. He interpreted the dream of the, the butler, the baker. Neither of those men were believers. Um, and then he interpreted the two dreams of Pharaoh, and, the, and Pharaoh was not a believer. Um, we'll, have, we'll have other examples also. But if you hear a person who claims to be a Christian claiming to have a dream, but yet they don't know the meaning or interpretation of it, I would use a lot of discernment in whatever they make, whatever claims follow that. Because I just do not see in Scripture that happening. Another example would be the time when uh, Joseph, the earthly father of Jesus, 
an angel came to him in a dream and a vision. Once again, when the, when the dream, the vision was over, Joseph, I don't think, fully understood everything about what was going to happen with Jesus. But he knew what he needed to do. He needed to take Mary as his wife. They needed to become husband and wife after. But he knew that Mary was going to have a baby. He knew that it was of the Holy Spirit. The, the, the dream was clear in that sense, that he didn't have to go to someone else and get an interpretation. I had to think also of the mem- number of stories that we have of Muslims seeking the truth about God and Jesus and finding direction, finding a way forward through dreams. Uh, one of those stories is of Bilquis Sheik, um, a Muslim woman who grew up in a wealthy Pakistani family. It's been a while since I listened to the story, but if I remember it correctly, she did not have access to a Bible. She had very little contact with Christians, or at least those Christians were not willing to share their faith with her. But as her desire to grow, to know the true God, she, um, God gave her dreams that helped to spur her on and help direct her to those she needed to. And those dreams continued, if I remember right, until two things happened. She was able to get God's word into her hand. I think that came through one of her Christian servants. Um, and after she had been baptized, and I believe that, at that after that point she did not have dreams anymore because she knew the truth about God. But yet God used dreams like that. Another one is a, one, a man I've mentioned before, Nabil Qureshi. Um, he had been spurred on by a Christian friend to look into both Islam and Christianity. And he just didn't know which was true. His 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 raising, his teaching when as a boy was that Islam was true and he believed it with all his heart. He even would try to evangelize to Christians and to other people in his school as growing up. Then he came into contact with a Christian. He was spurred on to research Christianity. And what was true? Well, he asked God for a vision and a dream. The, the first, the vision he had um, made, made was clear, but the dream was not. And the interesting thing is he, God used a book that I believe was Muslim to actually help him interpret the dream. And yet the dream said that Islam was not true. But yet God gave him that dream. Because of his stubbornness and also because of the difficulty he knew that lay ahead with that dream, with with the results of that, if he changed his life and accepted Christianity, he asked God for two more dreams. And God was faithful in giving those. His thought process was if um, the reason to ask for three dreams was that Allah liked odd numbers, and God was triune. So either way, he wasn't violating 
God's, whichever God ended up being true. The second dream did not need as much interpretation, but came through, the first dream, if you remember, came through a Muslim book of dream interpretations. The second one came through the Bible. He felt like he kind of understood it because he had read the Bible, some of it, and some of it made sense with Christian concepts. But he asked his friend David, who was a Christian, and his friend turned to him to told him to read Luke 13, and the dream perfectly made sense. The second dream was telling him that he had to make a decision for Christ if he wanted to end up in heaven. A little bit like the devotions that Dwayne had this morning on the marriage supper of the Lamb. It was that it was that idea, that concept, that if he wanted to be there, the marriage supper of the Lamb, he had to accept Christ. At that point, he knew which was true, but God was faithful, gave him the third dream, and the third dream showed him that he needed to leave Islam. He couldn't be in feet in both camps. So God brings dreams and visions. I believe that is true. But I, I also, like I said before, I believe as believers, if we know the truth, we will not have strange dreams that are from God trying to tell us something that will need interpretation. I also believe strongly that <coughs> dreams and visions coming from God to tell us something will never, ever contradict his word. And yet that's what we see time and time again. The people claim to have dreams or visions, and yet it feels like it's just a way for people to try to get out from under God's word. Back to Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar's dream. He was Nebuchadnezzar was so concerned that his wise men would lie to him that he risked killing them all off to get to the truth. You want to think what position they were put in. They had no access to God. They might have claimed to worship gods, but they did not have access to any God that could tell them what this dream was. And so they were put in an awful position. This dream, <clears throat> um, was like I mentioned earlier, was extremely important. King Nebuchadnezzar knew that it had a significant meaning and he, wanted, he needed to know what it was. For some reason, like I mentioned earlier, Daniel and his friends were not aware of the king's dream right away. And let's continue reading in Daniel chapter 2, verse 10. The Chaldeans answered before the king and said, this is not, There is not a man upon the earth can show the king's manner. Therefore there is no king, lord, or nor ruler that asks such a thing at any magician or astrologer or Chaldean. And it is a rare thing that the king requireth, and there is none that can show it before the king except the gods, whose dwellings is not with flesh. Now it's interesting, these were not believers and yet they acknowledged, and they were actually speaking truth to the king here, that they recognized that only a true God could tell this dream. 
For this cause the king was angry and very furious and commanded to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. And the decree went forth that the wise men should be slain. And they sought Daniel and his fellows to be slain. And so now Daniel's aware. (laughs) And what is going through their minds? They'd just been brought to Babylon a year or two before. Everything seemed to be looking up for them in spite of their being in captivity and unable to return to their homeland. If you felt like things are hopeless for you at times, this would have been one of those for them, extremely hopeless, looking like probably within a matter of an hour or a day or two they were going to be dead. But thankfully Daniel trusted in, in God, the one true God. Then Daniel answered with counsel and wisdom to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, which was gone forth to slay the wise men of Babylon. And he said to Arioch, the king's captain, Why is the decree so hasty from the king? Then Arioch made the thing known to Daniel. Then Daniel went in and desired of the king that he would give him time and that he would show the king the interpretation. Then Daniel went to his house and made the thing known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, that they would desire mercies of the God of heaven concerning this secret that Daniel and his fellows should not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. When we are in a tough position, hopefully we do the same thing that Daniel does, that we spend time in prayer. We go to God. We don't try to weasel our way out or try to reason our way out on our own but that we go to God and trust him, that our hope is in him like our Sunday school lesson and not in ourselves. Therefore Daniel went in unto Arioch, whom the king had ordained to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus unto him, Destroy not the wise men of Babylon. Bring, in, bring me in before the king, and I will show the king the interpretation Then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste and said unto him, I have found a man of the captives of Judah that will make known unto the king the interpretation. The king answered and said said to Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, Art thou able to make known unto me the dream which I have seen and the interpretation thereof? Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, The secret which the king hath demanded cannot the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, the soothsayers show unto the king. But there is a God in heaven that revealeth secrets and maketh known to the king Nebuchadnezzar what shall be in the latter days. Thy dream and the visions of thy head upon thy bed are these. And so God was faithful and he gave the interpretation to Daniel. It's, uh, it's also encouraging to see that Daniel didn't take any credit for himself but said that this was from God. And now I'm going to read the dream. Verse 31. Thou, O king, sawest and beheld a great image. The great image whose brightness was excellent stood before thee, and the form thereof was terrible. And I have a couple of um, pictures here to kind of help us visualize. And uh, 
just ignore the, bottom, the fifth one here on the bottom, and I'll explain later why that is. But as we look through, as we read this dream, think of this image as a possible uh, representation of that. This image head was of fine gold, his breast and his arms of silver, his belly and his thighs of brass, his legs of iron, his feet part of iron and a part of clay. Thou sawest till that a stone was cut out without hands, which smote the image upon his feet that were made of iron and clay, and brake them to pieces. Then was the iron, the clay, the brass, the silver, and the gold broken to pieces together and became like chaff of the summer threshing floors, and the wind carried them away, that there was no place was found for them. And the stone that smote the image became a great mountain, and filled the whole earth. And this is the dream, and we will tell you the interpretation thereof before the king. And I'm just going to go right into that. Thou, O, thou, o king, art king of kings, for the God of heaven that hath given thee a kingdom, power and strength and glory. And whosoever the children of men, and wheresoever the children of men dwell, the beasts of the field and the fowls of heaven, hath he given into thine hand, and hath made thee ruler over them all, and thou art this head of gold. And after thee shall arise another kingdom inferior to thee, and a third kingdom of brass, which shall bear rule over all the earth. And the fourth kingdom shall be strong as iron, for as much as iron breaketh into pieces, and subdueth all things, and as iron that breaketh all these, shall it break in pieces and bruise. And whereas thou sawest the feet and the toes, part of the potter's clay and part of iron, the kingdom shall be divided, but there shall be in it the strength of iron. For as much as thou sawest the iron mixed with miry clay, and as the toes of the feet were part iron and a part of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly broken. Whereas thou sawest the iron mixed with miry clay, they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men, but they shall not cleave one to another even as iron is not mixed with clay. And in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. For as much as thou sawest the stone that was cut out of the mountains without hands, and that it break in pieces the iron, the brass, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God hath made known to the king what shall come to pass hereafter. And the dream is certain, and the interpretation thereof, sure. And I'm going to pause there. So what, what did this dream, let me get my right notes here. What did this dream mean? Most people, most historians, biblical th- uh, scholars, agree on the first three or four um, kingdoms. The gold of head, which, the dream, which Daniel clearly said to Nebuchadnezzar, was the Babylonian empire, which lasted from 605 B.C. to 539 B.C. The silver breast and arms were the Medo-Persian Persia empire that ran from 539 B.C. to 331 B.C., And if I'm not mistaken, this would have been the time period which the story of Esther took place. 
And then the empire came along after that. Uh, the brass belly and thighs of Greece, um, 331 B.C. to 168 B.C. And then we have the legs of iron, um, the Roman Empire going from 1868 B.C. to approximately 476. Now in there there were some changes. Um, the kingdom was divided, and that's where things get a lot more gray and fuzzy. The, f- the fourth kingdom, I'm sorry, the fifth kingdom, what was it or what is it? Was it still around today? Was it the Church of Rome? Is it the United States, the United Nations, the European Union? I really don't think it matters, and I don't think that it needs to cause us a lot of worry or trying to figure out what it is. The more important thing, I think, is for us to understand in this message this morning that what we see in this image is one empire after another, man, an empire of men. And if God said that he set up Nebuchadnezzar, and he talks about it there uh, when Daniel is interpreting the dream, that God gave him all the power that he had. It didn't come just because of Nebuchadnezzar deciding it was going to be. Because it was just decided by man, Babylon could have stood forever, possibly. But because God puts sets up, takes down, you see each part of this image. The Mede Empire, uh, Medo-Persian Empire, sorry, would come along and be more powerful and destroy the Babylonian one. And then that one would end, and there would be the one in Greece. That would end, and there would be the one based in Rome. No matter what the fifth kingdom is, maybe it's represented by all the partial kingdoms, the, the, the empires, the powerful nations that have been since that time to today. That's what some people believe. If you think about it in that way, you can basically link from the time of Daniel's dream, or of Nebuchadnezzar's dream and Daniel's interpretation till today of world government, of the power of man um, through, through governments being represented in this image and that since the Roman Empire there's never been one empire that has been able to control the whole earth even the United States when you think about it and we've had it there's been a lot of I've heard listened to a number of podcasts and discussions um, in the last couple of weeks as we see the U.S. losing its power over the world but yet the United States never had a governor in every part of the world. We may have pushed our influence there, but I don't believe that you could ever consider United States an empire. Britain had a lot of influence over the world, but never had anything like these first four kingdoms. And so you kind of get the idea, the image of the feet, there being a mixture of governments that make up 
the world government, the world power. But what was the most important thing to take away from this dream? From this dream? And I think it's this, is that man can set up empires, man can have power, and it looks like there's nothing they can't do. But yet, in this dream, this rock comes along and destroys it all. Destroys, it doesn't just knock it down. It says that it turns all these metals, i.e. these empires and governments, into chaff that the wind just blows away and you can't find it anymore. And as we think about, we look around us, it may shake us when we see the United States losing its power and influence because that power and influence has brought in the U.S. and in many parts of the world prosperity and even some relative peace. Even though there's been wars, since World War II there's not been any major world war. And yet we need to understand that it's not going to last forever. Only one thing will last forever, and that's Jesus Christ and his kingdom. You may say, well, what does this rock of, of Jesus Christ all represent? Are, is the church a part of that? Are we the rock also? Is the church what comes in and destroys? There are people today that would give the idea that the church is going to grow and become more powerful. You have the seven hills doctrines that teach that the church is going to just eventually gain influence over everything. And I don't believe that's true because it says this rock will never, this, what comes here through this rock shall never be destroyed, which never have an end. And I believe that the church age, the church itself, will end at the rapture. We will, the church will be taken out of this world. That period will end. Yet Jesus Christ will continue. His kingdom will continue. During the tribulation period, there will be people uh, that come to Christ, uh, including the 144,000 they will be part of representation of that kingdom that never ends. During the millennium, when Jesus, when Christ comes back and rules the earth, it will continue. Jesus Christ's kingdom will continue. It can't, I don't think it's talking about this rock, it's talking about the millennial kingdom because that comes to an end. So as we look around us and things seem difficult and things seem to be unstable, it seems like a lot of world leaders are just don't have the confidence and the ability to lead well that we've seen in the past. We can have hope and confidence as we look at that this, at this dream of Nebuchadnezzar and the interpretation thereof because we recognize that 
while all these earthly kingdoms went one to another to another, and you have power switching from one side of the world to another side of the world, there's one thing that's eternal, and that's the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And that it will never end. Even though at times it seems like things for believers are hard. Afghanistan, we're talking about in Sunday school, and we've talked, I've, a lot of people are talking about it right now. The, the difficult time that Christians in Afghanistan are having right now. And yet, when they look at Daniel chapter 2, and they think of that their faith is in Jesus Christ, and not in who's in charge of their country, whether it's ISIS or the Taliban or whoever it is, they can lean on Christ. They can put their faith and their confidence that he is in control. And we know that there, I, I believe that there are still power, or there's governments, uh, the Antichrist, that still lies ahead for the world history. And yet, we can have confidence that Jesus will destroy that too, just like he destroyed all the empires before. So in closing, I just want to look at uh, the last few verses of Daniel chapter 2 there. Why did God allow these things to happen to Daniel and his friends? Then the king and Ebenezer fell on his face and worshipped Daniel and commanded that they should offer an oblation and a sweet odors unto him. The king answered and unto Daniel and said of a truth it is that your God is God of gods and a Lord of kings and a revealer of secrets seeing thou couldst reveal this secret then the king made Daniel a great man and gave him many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief of the governors over all the wise men of Babylon then Daniel requested of the king, and he set Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel sat in the gate of the king. Daniel could have had all the power he wanted. I mean, he was under King Nebuchadnezzar, but yet from there he was ruler over the whole province of, of Babylon. Now, I to me that would make sense that it would not... He, not, he wouldn't have ruled all the, all the provinces, but, just, but the most important one. It would be like someone being over the Senate, the House, the Supreme Court in our country today, and yet be unelected, not really needing to answer to anyone but the king that's over them. But yet Daniel decide, decided not to take this opportunity for this power but instead gave it to his three friends. And then he went and sat in the gate of the king and remained just a wise man and a counselor to the king. I think we see a humility there on Daniel's part that even though he could have taken that opportunity to do whatever he wanted, he instead recognized that this had all come about through God and that this wasn't God's will for him to be that powerful. But ultimately, I, I, the, the most important part of this message that I wanted to leave with you this morning is that even though things look uncertain and shaky around us, 
We don't have to doubt who ultimately wins. We don't have to doubt where the ultimate power lies. God sets things up. He takes things down. And it's why we're called to honor our leaders, even when they're difficult to honor. I'll admit it's difficult to have a lot of respect and honor for our current government because of what appears to be weakness and just flip-flopping and saying one thing and doing another. But yet we don't have to doubt. We don't have to fear because our kingdom is with Jesus Christ, which is eternal. And so the Lord bless each one of you.